Guerrero reaches for it and sends it to deep left. And he's so strong, he hit it out. Hey, what's going on? It's At The Letters, brought to you by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Today is Wednesday, September 21st. Our producers are Nick Andrade and Christian Ryan. I am Arden Swelling in Toronto. He is Ben Nicholson-Smith in Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, and dealing with some Philadelphia uh, hotel acoustics, so that's why Ben sounds the way that he does. Uh, Ben, you just watched like maybe one of the wackier Blue Jays games of the year. Here on Tuesday night, just like an absolutely ridiculous affair that the Blue Jays ended up uh, like winning by, you know, uh, what, 1810, was it? 1811, something crazy? 1811. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even remember. Um, but anyway, all that matters is it was a W. It may be a moot point. It has popped up. It'll be Biggio, and he will make the catch, and that will end this ball game. As the Blue Jays take the game by a score of 18 to 11. 29 runs, 36 hits. Blue Jays will go in with the W. That's what matters, which really solidifies the fact that the Blue Jays are in the first wild card spot. Now two games clear of Tampa Bay in second, two and a half clear of Seattle, who are in third. The Blue Jays five games back or five and a half back of the Yankees for the division lead. That's looking somewhat unrealistic at this point. Also, like seven games up on the Orioles who are the fourth team in the wild card race on the outside looking in so the Blue Jays falling out of postseason contention also looking pretty unrealistic at this point I mean is there any conceivable way Ben that you see the Blue Jays either moving up into like contending for the division or moving down out of the postseason, or are we looking at very, very, very strong likelihood that the Blue Jays are playing in the wild card series? I do think they're playing in the wild card series in all likelihood. I mean, they're making it. They are making the playoffs, which is exciting for Blue Jays fans, without a doubt, after a near miss last year. And man, I mean, the last couple of Yankees games have been so interesting, I guess, to follow. There was the Sunday game where the Yankees trailed against the Brewers and then the Bre- and ended up coming back. And then on Tuesday, of course, the game in which Aaron Judge hit home run number 60, they end up walking off on a Giancarlo Stanton grand slam against the Pirates. So, you know, in each of those cases, you're kind of sitting there thinking, all right, like this is, this is a chance for the Jays to gain, or at least on Sunday, once the Jays fall behind, they'll at least hold their ground with the Yankees. And the Yankees, to their credit, keep winning. It really does seem unlikely that the Yankees are going to play poorly enough in the course of the next two weeks to give up a five and a half game lead. Like that's a lot of ground to make up. Technically it's possible, but things would have to happen quick. Like the Jays essentially would need a sweep when the Yankees visit Toronto next week. And in the meantime, the Blue Jays would have to gain a couple games. So I, I see it as unlikely. I think we're, we're bracing for a wild card series. And the, the real hard part to predict here right now is what seed do they have? Because that part is pretty up in the air. So, yeah, put it this way, any combination of 10 Yankees wins and Blue Jays losses from here on out would clinch the Yankees the AL East. 
So that could be five Yankees wins, five Blue Jays losses. The Blue Jays might only lose two games the rest of the way, but if the Yankees just win eight, they'll clinch the AL East, like any combination there. So it just really seems super unrealistic to me that the Blue Jays take the division. So I don't think they're moving up, and I agree with you. I don't think they're moving down. I think the Orioles, Dunzo, great story, but the magic ran out, baby. And the Minnesota Twins, who uh, like won the trade deadline, if you remember, are now under 500. So forget them. And neither of the other two teams in the AL Central are likely to even win like 90 games. So I just don't think that you're worried about, you know, if it's Cleveland or Chicago who finished second in that division, you're not worried about them in the wildcard race. Blue Jays going to play in a wildcard series. They're going to have a three-game series on the first weekend of October. So understanding that, what are the priorities now for the Blue Jays? Like, what do you focus on when you can't really move up or move down when you know you're facing a three game series no matter what? What do you prioritize over the final two weeks? How do you approach these games? What's the sense of urgency? It's such an interesting question. It's kind of a new one, too, right? With this format, at least it feels different to me, certainly, than any other year. So I think for now, you just try to win. You just try to win and keep winning because ideally you are in a position where you secure that top wild card. I think you really want to have home field. I think that definitely helps you. And you don't want to ever try to finesse it too much by saying, oh, we'd actually rather be the three seed and let's just try to lose X number of games and then we're going to start winning. I don't think that plays. I don't think that makes sense based on what John Schneider's saying. Clearly not the approach the Jays are going to take either. So I think you just, for now, you push. Now, maybe there's a point at the very final series of the season in Baltimore against the Orioles where the Blue Jays could say, okay, we're in a pretty good spot right now. Maybe we don't have home field secured, but we at least are going to be in. So at that point, you could decide to push, say, Gosman and Manoa to games one and two of the wildcard series. And you could say, all right, we're going to try our best with Trevor Richards' bullpen game, with Mitch White, whatever the case and see what happens. Hope for the best, but not necessarily push everything in. But at this point, I don't think we're quite there. That's now still two weeks away. For now, you just try to win the games in front of you and hope that it leads to home field. Ben, I think we're there. I disagree. I think we're there right now because you know you're going to play in a three-game wildcard series regardless. And I don't really care where that series is going to be. I don't care who it's going to be against. It's three games of which you have to win two. Those are the most important things for the rest of the Blue Jays' season. So that's why I think you're there right now where I'm like figuring out the way that I am lining up Kevin Gosman and Alec Manoa to be available for the first two games of that series. And then whoever my preferred third starter is or third pitching configuration is for the third game. That's my most important thing right now. Like I understand there is some juice in this Rays series this weekend when it comes to seeding in the wild card race. I understand there could be some juice in the Yankees series next week. I just think if I'm the Blue Jays, like my priorities right now, number one, health. If anybody is carrying something, pick something up, something's nagging. I am giving that individual all the time that they need to get over it. I am not putting them in a compromising situation where they can possibly make it worse. And number two, availability. I want my starters lined up for that wild card series. I want the important pieces of my bullpen, the relievers who are going to meaningfully contribute to a playoff series 
rested and available for those three games. That's like, those are my priorities over all else right now. I'm not really pushing as hard as I can right now. I, I'm in, in a place where if I need to back off a starter or I need to give a reliever extra rest or if Alejandro Kirk needs more time, like just DHing to let that hip thing subside. I'm doing those things and I am like laser focused on those three wild card games. That's to me what's most important. I do think that certainly from a rest standpoint, if guys need extra time, this probably isn't the moment to push them over the edge because you know that more important games are coming. They are going to play more than 162 this year. So clearly game 148 or game 154, it just doesn't have the same importance as the games that that will come later. So I do think from a position player standpoint, you don't want to push these guys too, too hard. So where do you land with the rotation then? So, it, and of course, you know, we are still two weeks away, so there's still time for them to make these decisions. But, you know, at, at this point, are you inclined to say, map things out to line Gosman and, and Manoa up for wildcard games one and two and just totally ignore them for that Orioles series at the end? 100%. I'm I'm throwing Thomas Hatch in that series. I'm throwing Trent Thornton and Casey Lawrence in that series. I'm throwing Mitch White. I'm throwing Yusei Kikuchi. Like that's that's who's pitching for me in that series. Anybody of importance is not pitching for me in that series. With with Manoa and Gosman specifically for these next two weeks ahead of that three game wild card series, I want them pitching often enough to stay in rhythm and to stay you know just on track and in a good place with their mechanics and with their arm health and their care and everything but i also don't want them pitching so much that they are compromised for that series i want them as rested as healthy as available as possible going into those first two games and i'm i am rejigging everything else with my roster around that when you look at the numbers for manoa in particular and as recently again like two three days ago this all changes pretty quick two three days ago the jays were four and a half back of the yankees right and then if you're in a position to really push of course you're going to Make sure that Manoa is available, for example, for that series against the Yankees in the finale, because that could be a chance to gain a game and avoid the first round altogether. Now, as we record this on Wednesday, that seems less likely as an option for the Blue Jays. So Manoa, when you look at the numbers, he's someone who has been very good on four days rest. Very good. 2-5-4 ERA, 22% strikeout rate, 7% walk rate. When he is on five-plus days rest... He pitches closer to seven innings per start. The ERA is lower. The strikeout rate is slightly higher. The walk rate is lower. So the peripherals are better for Alec Manoa when he has a bit more rest. As they are for a lot of pitchers, stands to reason that that would make sense. So at this point, probably makes sense if you can to give Manoa a bit of extra rest. I guess the downside to the approach that you're describing here, just to play devil's advocate, because I'm open to what you're saying here, but you know the downside is, if you fall into that number two spot in the wild card, then all of a sudden you still have to play, let's say it's the Rays. You go to the trop on the road, you have to play the Rays. Then even if you win, you have to play the Astros. That's a really tough path to the ALCS. And again, you can't try to finesse these things and you can't try to finish third, but I think there's a case to be made for trying to finish first to avoid that situation you play the third wildcard team, and then if you make it through, you actually get to play the Yankees, which arguably is a better second-round matchup than the Astros. 
And but Alec Manoa and Kevin Gosman are going to pitch like regularly enough over the next two weeks to give you your best possible chance of finishing first in the wild card race. And if you enter that final series of the season, and those guys could pitch in that Orioles series, and maybe you're a game back of the Rays for first in the wild card race, yeah. and you're like you could pitch them and possibly move past the Rays into first. I think that would be a mistake. I think you save those guys for the wild card series. I mean, those guys are going to get their starts down the stretch and they're going to help you try to get to that first spot. But if it comes down to it in that Orioles series, I don't see any situation where I'm throwing those guys in that Orioles series unless something crazy has happened and I'm about to fall out of the postseason, which really isn't going to happen. No, the Jays are going to make it. So I don't think that's the situation. But yeah, it's interesting. Like maybe there's maybe there is like a bit of a middle ground here where, you know, instead of Casey Lawrence and Thomas Hatch, because the Jays should not pitch Thomas Hatch this year at any point. But maybe instead you do a bullpen game where it's like, okay, Trevor Richards, here's your final who, tune up. You're gonna go from my bullpen game. Who? Is it Jordan Romano? I mean, is it Jimmy Garcia? Is it Anthony Bass? Because I want those guys as rested and healthy as possible for for the wildcard series. And those guys have pitched a lot of innings. I would use the relievers to help seeding. I, I can I can get the case for easing up on the starters and making sure that they're there for games one and two of the postseason. But relievers, they have to pitch. And of course, you're going to be deliberate about it. But if if it gets you home field, I would use Jordan Romano and Jimmy Garcia to get you home field. I mean, they're, this is their job. On the final game, final day of the season, yeah. even if like a win would just give you the opportunity for home field. But if the Rays win somewhere else, they're going to get it. Even if it's like not control your own destiny. Uh, no, I want I want those guys getting two days off before Friday, before game one of the wildcard series. You know how important these relievers are in playoff games. You know how important they're like you're I don't like Kevin Gosman, Alec Manoa, you're not going three trips through the order in a wild card game unless you're having the game of your life. It's a playoff game. The best pitchers in baseball get shortened in playoff games. You're gonna need your bass, your Romano, your Garcia. You might need those guys three days in a row yeah. on wild card weekend. I want them having two full days down leading into that series. And, and I think you you have to be deliberate with these guys. You, you're not certain. You're not using Romano, you know, excessively at this point. If he pitches 30 pitches one day, give him a breather the next. But I don't want to be the one, would not want to be the one, to go to Jordan Romano and John Schneider on the final day of the season when you have home field at stake and say, yeah, we're just, we're not doing this. This is going to be a Casey Lawrence spot. Like, I, I think that you'd rather see those guys in there pushing, even if it means they're slightly more fatigued. What is the marginal value to be gained of home field, really? Like how, like how much is that really going to matter? Or trying to like game which opponents you're going to have. Oh, it's an easier path through this side of the bracket. It's still baseball. It's still the postseason. It's still just a coin flip most days. Are you going to move the coin flip chances from like 51 to 53 or 52 to 54? Like, is that your idea? I don't think that's worth it. If I bump up against a situation in the wildcard series where it's like game two and, oh, geez, Jordan Romano is like, his stuff is completely compromised. Like it is not yeah. as effective as it typically is because I used him too much in that Orioles series. And oh, by the way, we didn't win the game because some crazy baseball stuff happened and uh, Jorge Mateo like blooper fell in and Ramel Tapia like blew a tire and it went to the right field corner or whatever, right? Like I, I, no chance am I putting myself in that situation for just a like one or 2% margin gain on the, the wildcard series. Yeah. That's a reasonable case. It's a reasonable case because the home field from a win probability standpoint, home field advantage in baseball is like 
Okay. Right? So, so is that four percentage points, 52 versus 48? Okay. That's real. That's something. I think you want that. And at the same time, having a rested closer, well, we don't have the data on that, but having a rested closer, how much does that advance things game to game? Is that four percentage points? I actually think it might be less, you know, given uh, all the variables in play. That's why I would push and still say use Romano in that situation. Obviously, we're being hyper-specific right here um, <laughs> at two weeks out of time. But but I think there is a reasonable case to be made that, that you're making there where it's like, you know what? Just rest these guys completely. I just don't think the Jays would do it. That's the way I lean if I'm baseball ops. I do understand there might be a baseball business decision that might be a little different about whether you want to have those three home games or not. I think that if I was in the business department, business ops for the Blue Jays, I'd probably feel different. No, push, push, get us those home dates. Um, I'll tell you this, like the Blue Jays, part of why you track everything throughout the course of the year, right? Like part of why you track pitches and workload and how much guys are throwing in between outings and their bullpens and you do all these strength tests and check-ins throughout the year is to get an idea of like when each individual is at their best based on the amount of workload and rest that they've had prior so like we can look at those Alec Manoa numbers right the difference between four and five days rest for him it does show up big time in like the results but I do think also it would show up one way or the other for the Blue Jays just in the strength tests that they do with them in between outings in the subject feedback that they get from him and like how he feels and also in some of the pitch data as well and just like the velocity the break the snap like the release point how he maintains his mechanics a lot of the biomechanical stuff like all of that will play into it the blue jays will have gathered all of this data and all of this information and will be able to make i think a really informed decision about like what the optimal amount of rest is for alec manoa leading into that wild card series like that's part of the reason why you gather all this stuff over over time because you really do want to put guys in the best possible position at this time of year yeah absolutely um jays have a lot of data on that and weird things happen you know who knows what the next couple weeks will bring right like if the yankees lose six in a row that impacts things if the jays lose six in a row then maybe they really do have to push i, I think based on you know, the best guess, they'll probably be establishing seeding in that last week of the season um, with the Mariners, with the Rays. You know, it, it's like you say, the actual impact in win probability is probably not huge home versus road, uh, but certainly for fans, you know, for media members, where are we traveling? Are we not? You know, those variables are pretty big. <laughs> the team, they're so used to this. It's not necessarily as big a deal, but I still think that the players certainly would rather be at home if they have that choice and, and have the support of the fans behind them. One final scenario to throw at you that does pertain to this a little bit and just how you use guys in that Baltimore series. Is there a scenario you think where it isn't Manoa and Gosman in games one and two or Gosman Manoa, where one of those guys is actually the Blue Jays look at and say, well, we'd actually rather save one of those guys for game three based on how the DS could line up based on like what we think is most important in a three game series where all the games are in the same city. Think about the last time that we saw the Blue Jays play a three game wildcard series where they only played two of them because the Rays like swept them away like they were nothing. But what happened? They pitched Hunjin Ryu in game one. They saved Taiwan Walker for game three and they went Matt Shoemaker, Robbie Ray tandem outing in game two so we see we, a little clue a little hint at how maybe the blue jays think about strategizing for this type of scenario i would personally throw gosman manoa 
Manoa Gosman in games one and two, but I do wonder if there is a scenario in which one of those guys is actually being held for game three. I think it's good to raise that possibility because I won't be surprised at all if that's how they do it at all. And is it Barrios? Is it Stripling? You know, there are different ways that you could look at this. Stripling obviously had a rough outing Tuesday, but he's been incredibly consistent all season. I think part of it too depends on the opposition and what lineup you're looking at. You know, Mariners, Rays, and Guardians are pretty much the three teams that you could arguably be facing. And so I haven't done this yet, but it's probably worth doing a a real dive as to how those teams approach right-handed pitching in particular, because obviously all four of the J starters are righties, and Barrios and Manoa are guys that have really struggled against lefties, relatively speaking. Now, for Manoa, that ro- those relative struggles are still pretty effective. For Barrios, those relative struggles are very pronounced. He is lefties have hammered him this year, and we've seen opposing managers try to stack their lineups with lefty hitters against both those guys. So, depending on the on the matchup, that's going to inform things. Um, but long story short, I really do think that if you're the Jays, you have to be open to that situation, um, and then best case scenario you win and that guy's then available for game one of the ds worst case scenario you lose and then you have a very good starter pitching in the elimination game so we'll see for me it does fall into like the too cute category a little bit like when you talk about trying to finish third in the wild card or like you know pushing for home field when you know you're just going to be playing three like must win game or well only two must win whatever three really important games somewhere regardless of if it's home or if it's away i don't think that that's something you should push for and so you know similarly i think you should just start your for your best two pitchers in games one and games two and hope that you win both of them and then move on to yeah. the to the ds like win the two games that you know you have like put your best foot forward in those two games you could also have a scenario i guess it wouldn't be ideal where you're like all right let's say just just for mean just for the example kevin gosman you're starting in game one if we lose game one alec manoa you're starting game two but if we win yeah. game one, Manoa, you're starting game three. Like you could have something like that. Um, I Again, too cute for me. I think just pitch, just win the games that you know you're going to play and then figure out a third game if you get to it. Uh, but I like I think you're right. The matchup will be huge because, you know, you think about it, there's the Blue Jays are going to look at how Ross Stripling's sort of kitchen sink approach and how his change up and, uh, you know, the, the curveball and the sinker off of it and the four seamer and everything that he throws plays against that lineup versus, well, actually, we kind of like how Jose Barrios tunneling curveballs off of fastballs works against, uh, you know, against this lineup a little bit more velo from from jose barrios and we actually like how that plays or these guys really struggle against like kind of the strike to ball sort of slurve that that barrios likes to throw sometimes um you know it could be even just like look like you know barrios gives up a bunch of fly balls off his fastball stripling gets a decent amount of ground ball contact right so maybe even environment factors into it i mean offensive approach of the opposition is going to be a factor too cleveland doesn't hit home runs <laughs> they don't have any power at all so you got to be careful with the amount of contact that you're giving up against a you know a lineup like that and this the type of contact that you're giving up as well so all those things are going to layer into it i don't think it's going to be a strict meritocracy of well ross stripling's pitched better over the last five months so obviously he's going to be the guy and he's really going to come down to to matchups and and profiles yeah a hundred percent and i think you know you look at game three if it gets to that point it's a bullpen game it's it's a bullpen game 100 yeah. percent. and even if it's even if it's kevin gosman 
like he could be out of the game in the fifth inning. You know, mm-hmm. if he is first and third and, you know, you've got, I don't know, let's say it's a really tough lefty or whatever the case, you really need to bring in Tim Meza or, you know, he's, he's starting to fade. You really need Jimmy Garcia. Like it's a bullpen game at that point. So, you know, and, and certainly if Gosman and Manoa go games one and game two, then Barrios might go three followed by Stripling for two, you know, or you might have Meza for one batter, Simber for one batter, get out of a jam. And then you go to Stripling for four or five. Then it's Bass Romano, you know, to, to close it out. And Romano's going six out. It's like, there are different ways that you can do this. Um, but I think in a great game three configuration, we're not going to see a starter going six, seven innings unless the Jays are winning big. Yep. Game three is a bullpen game. And uh, if you're Ben Nicholson Smith, you burned your bullpen in uh, the Baltimore <laughs> series and the first two games of the series. And now Jordan Romano actually isn't available. And Jimmy Garcia's arms barking and Anthony Bass's stuff isn't very effective uh, because you weren't really prudent with your rest management down the stretch, Ben. So now here comes Zach Pop and David Phelps and, uh, you know, Yusei Kikuchi and Taylor Saucedo with the uh, with the season on the line. It's the risky take, but I'll tell you this. Taylor Saucedo is not pitching with the season on the line. That would be a broken down Jordan Romano who would take the mound instead. But uh, we'll see where it all leads here. We will. Uh, We're going to step away. But when we come back, there's a lot more to touch on with uh, the Blue Jays and the two weeks remaining in the regular season. Plenty of intrigue to come. All that and so much more when we continue on At The Letters. It continues on at the letters, Art and Zwelling, Ben Nicholson, Smith. Our producers are Christian Ryan and Nick Andrade. And it is time now for Major League Beer for Major League Baseball. Brought to you by Miller Lite, original light beer. Ben, last week you went over the rule changes uh, that MLB will be instituting for the 2023 season. Restrictions against the shift, pitch clock, bigger bases. That's all well and good. What is one rule change that you would make when you are king of baseball? What is one rule change that you will be instituting immediately to the product that we all watch every night? Well, unfortunately, I don't think that will happen, but I, I do have a lot of ideas here. I'll, I'll kind of uh, bend the rules. I'm going to throw two at you. Okay. So okay. one is essentially designed to have managers be a bit more free and a bit more aggressive with their bench. And so we so often see that managers don't want to pinch hit their or for their catcher for fear of putting their last catcher in because then they're one injury away from having to use an emergency position player, which no one wants to see. And that's not safe. That's not good for players. It's not good for anyone. So I would say that if that happens and your final catcher gets injured, there's a provision where major league teams can either re-enter the catcher who was pinch hit for, or do you use the bullpen catcher, you know, if you really had to? I would like to see something along those lines, because otherwise it just leads to less interesting game management at the end of games. So I would like to see that. And then this one, this one's a little bit more out there. It's an idea my friend Nathan has had for a long time, but I would like to see once a year, managers get one time per year where, because managers get ejected all the time. They get ejected and, oh you know, they, they're out of the game. <laughs> I see you heard this I see <laughs> Once a year, I would like to see managers be able to eject umpires. So it only happens 30 <laughs> times a year in all of Major League Baseball. And it's just once per year they can say, you're gone. And the home plate umpire, whoever it is, they're out. You bring a new umpire in from first base and they have to umpire at that point. Should the, and then does the umpiring crew have to work with three? 
Like they have to yeah. work just like if, cause you don't get to bring up your, you know, your replacement manager, right. For, or whatever. There's not some guy in the back, like from the coaching staff who joins the like on bench coaching staff. So for the umpires, they would then have to officiate the game with only three. Exactly. You have to work shorthanded. One of your crew got tossed. Maybe he gets, <laughs> tossed. I mean, this is, this is how it goes. If you get tossed, then that's it. But uh, far too dramatic an impact on the product. I could, I can't get behind <laughs> it in that case then. Cause you're going to have missed calls, right? Like I don't need my umpires are bad enough, man. I don't need them like further compromised to a point where they're going to make even poorer calls because they're now, uh, officiating shorthanded. And I also don't like how this is ultimately like teams are just going to use it as a way to like, I just don't like this guy's like strike zone or something, you know, like it's not really going to be a, you know, heat of the moment. I'm angry. It's not going to be what you think it's going to be. It's going to be used tactically and every team is going to save it for like the final weekend of the season. Just once a year, once a year, that's it. I mean, it wouldn't overtake the game. I I think logistically, I mean, it obviously will never happen. Um, The umpires union, I'm sure would have something to say about this and rightfully so. But I do think that there would be something incredibly entertaining about your toss. No, your toss. And then you have to proceed from no, I'm, I'm with you on the first one, the bring back in the catcher. I feel like we've talked about that before, actually, that that's just something MLB should do. Like there's, you should be able to re-enter a catcher into a game because if the other catcher gets injured um, or you could have like each, you know how in the NHL they have that like emergency goalie and it's some guy from like in Toronto, it's some kid from Ryerson or something or like, oh, it's not some kid from Toronto Metropolitan University or whatever it's called now. Pardon my uh, mistake. Um, um, if it's, uh, you know, what, whatever, it's some kid from the local college who is the like emergency goalie. Maybe you should have like an emergency catcher at each MLB ballpark. And it's just somebody from like the local like intercounty team or somebody from like the NCAA level in the United States. And they're just on hand in case of emergency. Yeah. And that way you just avoid that situation where you have to actually use a position player, which only happens once or so a year. But that's partly because managers are so conservative about burning that final catcher. I wouldn't mind that either from a pitching standpoint, so that I don't need to see position players pitching. If it's like you're gonna you gotta cover the final few outs and you're gonna put like Brett Phillips on the mound, why not just have like the emergency pitcher? And as like a manager, it and the score would have to be wide enough and you'd have to put in all kinds of like, you know, restrictions so that it wasn't abused, but and then you can just call on that guy to pitch the final inning or something like that. So you don't have to see like whoever, you know, Reese McGuire chucking up like pitches uh, at Fenway Park. I, I would be open to that as well. We're seeing a lot of position players pitch these days. Yeah. Danny Jansen can tell you after whiffing against Garrett Stubbs in 84. <laughs> That's right. It did just happen. Uh, my rule change on a dropped third strike. Why can the batter reach first base? That I, I don't understand why this is even a thing. There's no there's no logic to it. There's no reason for it. If you swing and miss, strike three. I don't care if the catcher catches it or not. You're out. You struck out. You go to the dugout now because you struck out. You don't get to sprint for first base. I don't understand why this is a rule. If the catcher drops the pitch, Runners who are already on base can absolutely advance because they reached base in a just and fair manner. But why should the batter have the opportunity to reach first on a dropped third strike? I really don't understand it. 
you know what? It is one of those things that's oddly counterintuitive. Like once you actually start thinking about it, because he did swing and miss three times, but of course we're just used to it because that's how the game has always been. Um, but definitely he did swing and miss three times. Like the at-bat is in, by some measures over, and yet it continues. I actually kind of like seeing that moment of chaos for the catchers trying to chase down the ball. Um, but I, I can see where you're coming from logically. I need, yeah, I need logical grounds for it. So then, all right, if we're going to keep it in, then you should get the opportunity to take first on a dropped second strike or a dropped first strike as well. Because that that makes logical sense to me. Why is it only on this one pitch that you can do this? If the catcher drops the first or second strike, then you should be able to reach first as well. That would make logical sense. The way the rule is instituted right now makes no sense to me at all. Well, I actually think that's a great addition. I actually think if you said... Anytime that there's a dropped pitch, you can try to attempt to get to first base. Now, if the catcher retrieves the ball and throws you out, then you've missed your chance to get it. Um, But I think that'd be awesome. I think that that would add some real unpredictability to the game. Sure. I would be open to that on any any pitch, right? Like, try to reach first. But if you get thrown out, you're out. But, uh, yeah, either way, take it out. I don't understand why you can reach on a a drop third strike. You're out. You struck out. Three strikes. Go back to the dugout. Think about what you've done. The Toronto Blue Jays have some, like, you know what? They've been pretty healthy this year, and I'm sure the Blue Jays would like to keep it that way. But there are a couple things cropping up. George Springer hasn't always looked the greatest, although he is playing regularly and still hitting homers. And, you know, we're still seeing some decent throws from from the outfield. But he's obviously got the elbow thing that he's been carrying uh, for, like, the entire back half of the season. Alejandro Kirk's been out of the lineup with the hip thing. He's banged up. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is on the I.L., of the Blue Jays' injury concerns and some of the things that they're battling right now. We heard Tay Oscar Hernandez talking to you guys on Tuesday night about playing through a bunch of stuff. What's sort of the most concerning? What's at the top of your your list of impact for the Blue Jays down the stretch into the postseason? Man, good question. I think going into, you know, 24 hours ago, going into the Philly series, I probably would have said Kirk because he hadn't appeared. Then he goes out and gets three hits and draws a walk, and he's expected to catch Wednesday evening. So, Probably less of a pressing concern. Same with George Springer. I mean, that elbow, the, the right elbow, his his elbow that's been compromised for a while now, seems to be recovering a little bit to the point that we saw some really good power against the Orioles on the weekend. He homered, obviously, in the series before that against the Rays. So, you know, Springer looks pretty good to me. Play right. Springer. Driven to left field. It is And the left elbow, his good elbow, he took a pitch off of it, but he seems to be doing okay. So I think Springer's, you know, doing better, trending in a good direction. I think Kirk is as well. Lourdes, to me, seems like he's probably the furthest away this at this point. So I, I guess you could say him, but if there's any position the Jays are positioned to absorb an injury, it's definitely corner outfield. So when I saw that Lourdes had gone to the uh, Blue Jays player development complex in Dunedin to continue working out, I kind of assumed that was to then meet up with the team at the TROP, where they're going to be on the weekend, and potentially be activated on the weekend. Do you you not think it's that close with him? So my understanding is that he will be, uh, yes, meeting up with the team at the TROP this weekend. I don't believe that he's going to be at the point where he's activated then. It would probably have to be when the Blue Jays come home, if then. Because he's just, my understanding is his running really just hasn't progressed to the point that he'd be in a game or able to play left field consistently or potentially run to the extent that he would have to as a hitter. So 
until he's running more, like at this point, he's going to need he's going to need more than a few days. It's interesting because the minor league season is starting to wrap up at a lot of levels. Um, for AAA, it really only goes about a week more. Like, you know, I haven't looked at the Bison schedule. They might only have like five or six games remaining. Um, how do you think like the ability to get him on a rehab assignment kind of impacts things? I mean, he's going to have been out for a while now if it's going to be through the homestand. Worst case, if they had to just do a live BP session, you know, you get Matt Bushman on a mound, you get potentially a, a Maybe it's an eight Pearson. Maybe it's someone from the taxi squad. Um, and you get them on a mound. That could happen in lieu of a proper rehab stint. So I think there are ways around it. But like you say, the minor league schedule is definitely coming to a close here. And I think that you look at the way Rymel Tapia is kind of filled in. He's been pretty productive of late. This has been well-timed for Rymel Tapia to have a bit of a, a hot streak when he was pretty cold through the summer months. What's kind of his role going forward? Like, how does this evolve with Lourdes Gurriel Jr.'s availability with thinking about your postseason roster and how he fits in there and just what Tapia's playing time is and what he kind of brings to the lineup? We know the Blue Jays kind of like the contact-oriented approach towards the bottom. They like having the lefty bat in there. I mean, how does, how does Tapia's season kind of progress from here? Yeah, it's more clear how you use Tapia when Lourdes is out because then he becomes a bit more of an everyday player, and he's in there, you know, let's say most days in some capacity. Now, as for what happens once the Jays have Lourdes back, I think it's a bit less clear because, you know, who are you pinch hitting Rymel Tapia for? I'm, I'm not sure exactly when that would work or when you would use him as a pinch hitter. Maybe I'm just not being creative enough when I think about what those situations would be. Obviously, there's some matchups where maybe against a certain pitcher, you like him, certainly comfortable. Uh, left-handed swing gives you a different look. All the reasons that they acquired him in the first place, Tapia has somewhat delivered on that. A, you know, a below-average hitter relative to the rest of the league, but still someone who, in the right situation, you know, he's come up with all these bases loaded hits. He's he's had some big moments for the Jays this year, including against Baltimore with the bases clearing doubles. So you're certainly comfortable starting him. I I don't know. Maybe you see it more clearly, or you have a better answer for me than the one I just offered, but. How do you see the Tapia thing unfolding? No, and I agree with you. It's who would he pinch hit for? Like That's why I, I raised it, because we've seen him sort of cycled in throughout the season as the Blue Jays kind of give some rest to whether it's like Springer, or, you know, Teoscar, Lourdes, whoever. But like in the playoffs, three-game wildcard series, Springer, Teoscar, Lourdes, Gurriel Jr., if healthy, if available, are your outfielders, no matter what. Yeah. Um, and who is Tapia pinch hitting for from that group? I don't really foresee any of them right so then it's like well would tapia pinch hit for danny jansen i mean danny jansen's hitting really well lately yeah. right um so i don't think he's going to pinch it there would he pinch it for like an espinal kevin biggio's typically been that guy right so in a kind of weird way rymel tapia who over the last 14 days has the fifth most played appearances on the club like has been playing a lot and seeing a lot of opportunity if Lourdes Gurriel jr gets healthy and is available his playing time might go to nil very quickly. Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. And so, you know, it's not like he's going to be a defensive replacement for somebody either, is the yeah, other thing. You already have your two defensive aces in, in Zimmer and in Bradley Jr. So he's not playing that role, nor should he, because he's not a great defender. So, you know, realistically, maybe he's just more of a contingency, you know? And then a layer below that, it's Whit Merrifield, because Merrifield, he's probably third on the second base depth chart right now. And he's something like fifth 
in the outfield depth chart offensively and probably fifth on the outfield depth chart defensively. So what exactly does Whit Merrifield do on this team? It's not a, it's not totally clear. I mean, it's good to have useful, established major league players and voices around. So certainly there's no downside at the time that rosters are 28 to carrying both these guys. But uh, it's a good thing. It's part of the reality of having a team with really good offensive depth. You have decent, established major league players who don't have clear roles. But I do think it's going to create some very interesting playoff roster decisions down the stretch because then it's like, are you taking six outfielders on your playoff roster? <laughs> like, are you are you taking uh, Teoscar, Lourdes, George Springer, Tapia Zimmer, and Jaggy Bradley Jr.? And then are you taking Whit Merrifield as well? And like, can you get a third catcher onto that postseason roster? Like, there, I I think there's going to be a pretty interesting. If everybody's healthy, everybody's available, everybody's producing the way they can. And does that ever happen? No. But let's like, let's just suppose that it does. There could be a pretty interesting position player left off of a, a potential postseason roster. There certainly could be, and we'll have a lot of time in the next couple of weeks to zone in more on on postseason rosters. Um, but I will say, as a little sneak preview, take Zimmer. Take Bradley Jr. I think the Jays should have both in there. Give me that late game defense. Um, it's working really well, and it's man, Bradley Jr.'s arm out there, Zimmer's range. It's it's a really good mix defensively. Are you taking Tapia too in that scenario? Yeah, You're taking six outfielders, which then you get maybe one more position player you can take. And I didn't say with, I was taking right. So, but then your one more position player would be would it be? You'd, you'd have to be choosing between a, a Whit Merrifield, between a Gabby Moreno, I mean, between an extra pitcher. I don't know if there's going to be, are there pitcher limits in the postseason like there are in the regular season. I should look into that. Don't know off the top of my head. I mean, the catching would, thing will be, you would think? On pitching, I would think you have to have 13 pitchers, but I but think. Is the there a case, maximum? Is there a max? Or sorry, sorry. I, I would say there's a maximum of, of 13, is what I meant to right. say. I think the Jays would not be pushing up against that maximum for round one because it's just the three games. Right. Interesting choices to make. You know how important a bullpen is in uh, you know in the postseason, and like teams like to. We're too deep down the rabbit hole now. But like teams, you know, if you get into a blowout scenario in either direction, teams do like to have that guy who can pitch in that scenario if it's your Yusei Kikuchi or your Mitch White or whoever. So uh, somebody who will be on a postseason roster, you might be saying, well, what's like, you're never going to throw this guy in leverage. He's for that spot. So you don't have to burn somebody who you might be using in leverage in a, uh, you know, inconsequential point in a, in a game. But w- we got weeks, weeks to, uh, to sort out the postseason roster, but it is interesting from the catching perspective, like which this all kind of you know dances around with Kirk's availability, the hip issue, what his workload looks like down the stretch, how often he can play behind the plate. You don't want to aggravate this thing. You don't want it getting worse. Alejandro Kirk's been one of your best hitters all year. Any optimal, ideal playoff uh, lineup has Alejandro Kirk in it, either catching or at DH. Danny Jansen is hitting at a clip right now, which really is earning himself the right to be on the other side of that catcher DH thing, whether he's behind the plate and Kirk's DHing, or maybe Manoa starting, and you got Kirk behind the plate. Maybe Danny Jansen is DHing with the way that he's hitting right now. What does this look like down the stretch to you, just in terms of how the Blue Jays juggle all this playing time, availability, trying to keep guys healthy, trying to maximize production? 
and then going into the postseason or you might have a spot where you're starting both catchers on your roster in in a game where you might not have a third catcher on the bench yeah it was it was really interesting to see Danny Jansen catch Alec Manoa for the first time in 2022 on Sunday I mean that was uh probably a good thing just because you never know like let's say Jansen's starting a game and Manoa comes in in relief you know if it's a must-win situation um that that could happen like it really could you don't want guys to never work together so I thought that was kind of interesting moving forward obviously it'll stem from Kirk's health and how he's feeling I would expect that to start he's not catching even two games in a row um certainly he's caught three in a row so rarely that you would expect that to continue to be the case until the playoffs but for the next two weeks start with one build him up to two in a row don't want to overdo it with the hip certainly so obviously you're checking in with him and it's I mean we've we've talked about this at times this year but you know you just look at the overall production that they've gotten from these two guys like what a luxury to have where both Jansen and Kirk are playing this well it's a great spot for the Jays to be in it is just so interesting because earlier this month Alejandro Kirk caught like started three games in a row for the first time all season Blue Jays have been super reticent to do that to that point in the season and what happens immediately hip injury <laughs> i mean there the workload with alejandro kirk behind the plate and it's like a bigger picture discussion it's for 23 and beyond and what his future is like just as a mlb player and how his playing time and how um like just his workload has to be managed going forward but i mean the blue jays really tipped their hand this year in their utilization their deployment of kirk as to what they felt he could withstand behind the plate and what he couldn't and then I mean, earlier this month, as soon as they had to push him, something went wrong. So it is something I'm kind of, I'm filing into the back, back of my head for the future of Alejandro Kirk as a catcher at the Blue Jays. Absolutely. A lot of discussion there with Kirk, Jansen, and Moreno. Jansen, after this year, only two more with the Jays before he's a free agent. Time, time <laughs> ticks on <laughs> yeah. quickly. Yeah, well, I mean, he would probably say, hey, man, I've been in the organization for like, what, a decade <laughs> at this point, yeah. right? <laughs> he would have been like uh what like a 12 13 drafty or something like that i mean he's been around for he was a high school guy he's been around for a while i'm looking up quickly 2013 draft so he's saying look this team drafts me in 2013 i gotta wait two more years before i get to free agency he'd look at it a little differently yeah no doubt all right uh that's gonna be it for us this week uh we want to thank ben nicholson smith for hopping on from philadelphia want to thank our producers uh nick andrade and Kristen ryan want to thank all you for listening talk to you next week on at the letters 